Hello, 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 and welcome back to another companion episode of Howl the Podcast. My name is Shannon, and I am one of the writer-directors here on Howl. So good to see you. This companion episode is going to dive into the history of the Deltas. Now, Cheyenne and I, in our own way, have kind of divvied up uh, the writing responsibilities in terms of whose storylines belong to who. I Cheyenne loves the wolves, so they write the wolves, mostly. And I write the Deltas, because I think that the Deltas are so cool. I think their history is awesome. This is going to be the history of Delta Omega Alpha. So, without any further ado, let's get into it. In order to begin, we're going to go back in time. In fact, we're going to go all the way back to ancient Greece. Arcadia, to be specific. Arcadia is a region in modern-day Greece located in the Peloponnese. It was considered to be a wilderness in which the god Pan resided, along with dryads, nymphs, other mythical creatures and spirits. Now, Arcadia is being ruled by a king named Lycone. Lycone was an incredibly jealous king. He was jealous of the Holy Roman Empire next door. Wealth, beauty, art, fashion, culture. Just a, a totally enriched, thriving place. Not to say that Arcadia wasn't, but it wasn't the Holy Roman Empire. And Lycone wanted that for himself. So, he decided that he was going to host a dinner for the god of the underworld. Hades, sacrifice his, his firstborn son and cook him for Hades as a gift, thinking that this would please the god of the underworld. It did not. How was Hades supposed to give him that thriving kingdom if he just killed his heir? He got angry and using all his powers of darkness, he turned Lycone into the very first hellhound. And he, Lycone rampaged Arcadia and spread his darkness. When he left Arcadia, that darkness still spread like a plague. On the kingdom, people were dying, crops rotting, poverty, things were burning down. And Lycone's second son, Orion, just a normal shepherd boy, was the heir. But we Orion's a good boy. He was going to be a better man than his father and his kingdom to thrive. So he set off into the mountains, pledged himself to the goddess Artemis. He said, Artemis, if you bless me, I will raise an army in your stead and I will take back Arcadia. I will go forward with that army and I will find Lycone and I will stop him from spreading all of the darkness. Behold, Artemis appeared, gifted him a bow and arrow, each with a star embedded in them. She gifted him the strength of the gods, for he had the bravery of the gods, and Artemis was pleased with this. Orion went forward, and he raised this army. They knew that he was their true king, and that he would lead them to victory, to end all beasts. Like the so-called heads of Cerberus that had now been established, after weeks of Orion returned home to Arcadia, taking a wife, a mortal girl, Hestia of Thesper. And Artemis placed a hand on Hestia's belly and granted them a child. So his, his 
goal of being able to destroy darkness in the land it would never be broken. It's a goal that would live on in his family forever. Orion's son was named Deirdrick, meaning people ruler, blessed by the gods. Orion raised his son, aware of the promise that he had made to Artemis, lived to serve the goddess and shield mankind from the beasts that ravished Earth. If Deirdrick did not finish Lycone's armies by the time of his death, then the task would fall to his children, and so on. Now, let's fast forward a couple of centuries. The descendants of Orion inherited the Anglo-Saxon Derricks as their last name. Although time had changed their name, it had not changed the incredible strength and leadership of the Derricks' children. The family secret was passed down through generations, each generation training for their own battles, whatever that may be. Derricks were the closest thing to gods walking on Earth, each born with a constellation-shaped birthmark, a reminder of their family's work yet to be finished. Now the Derricks decided to grow in alliances. They knew that even though they were the blessed ones, strength they made a pact with a wealthy family of demonologists. The Derricks would teach basic weaponry in return for assistance in classifying beasts of burden. So essentially they traded uh, physical knowledge, um, science, how to kill, what materials to use, what's the best way. They have to stay up to date in order to be able to kill these things. So this family agreed, introduced the Derricks to more demonologist families uh, including the Vordenbergs, if you know who the Vordenbergs are. These families have ancestors who also followed the path of Orion the Hunter, and they were incredibly delighted to meet the descendants of the Great Hunter. Each family received special training in return for their undying allegiance to the Derricks family, because the DOA does not take promises lightly. Uh, Gwen Talbot our fearless founder of Talbot University, she started this idea of building a school. Um, so Gwen Talbot was recruiting investors for her school, and her friend Mina spoke highly of a certain demonologist who had saved her from a monster who took her best friend Lucy when they were just teenagers. And when Gwen went searching for this demonologist, she found out daughter had inherited his demon hunting business. Her name was Elsa. And Gwen and Elsa shared a likeness for science, dark arts, and she lurk in the dark. Since she was well trained, Gwen suggested Elsa become Talbot's master of the guard in charge of the school's protection protocols. Elsa put forward a motion to the other families that when the school was open, she could begin to recruit an elite type of security team. The motion was passed unanimously, and Elsa began to recruit and train high-born daughters on ways of protection and weaponry with a specialty in archery. The traditional hunting tactic. She took on 15 recruits for the new guard and named it Delta Omega Alpha to honor Artemis, goddess of the hunt. Shortly after the first DOA was finished training, 
Elsa sent them out on a pilgrimage to seek guidance from Artemis and hunt their first wolf, just as Orion did before them. She marked each delta on their foreheads, and they had been baptized with the blood of their first kill. Thus began the DOA of Talbot University. So with that, basic history of the deltas. We're going to go back now to Lycone's army. Lycone was slowly beginning to lose complete control of his armies. This was noticed. There was a great wolf war. And that was the end of Lycone. That was his demise. But his generals, the real backbone of the army, the real villains here, they fled, wanting to keep alive. Fenris to Scandinavia, Anubis to Egypt, and Enominatem to South America. And there, they established their own kingdoms, own wolf kingdoms. They're, they were kind of gods. But what? There were people that knew there was a darkness to them. And so divisions of the Delta were founded. Now, these divisions are not part of the DOA. Let's talk about the one in Egypt and that history, because that's fun. Anubis is there, reigning over Egypt a little bit, and the current queen is Queen Ahutap I. And she's a warrior queen. She defeated the northern Egyptian army, and she was hailed as a savior. Anubis saw this, did not like that. Now, understanding the danger of being a woman in power, Queen Ahotep quickly began training her four daughters as well. One night, as the palace slept, Anubis, the great enemy, attempted to slay all of those who lived in the palace as he was displeased with the outcome of the battle. He didn't want Queen Ahotep around anymore. Her army wasn't as easy to slay. Now, Queen Ahotep and her daughters wounded the creature so badly that it was forced to return to the desert. After the attack, the queen's daughters attended to the palace, believing that women uh, were the true divider between light and dark. The princesses began training women to guard the palace instead of men. Uh, 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 queen Ahotep, unable to deny the strength of women and her own daughters, agrees to this. And from then on, the palace was guarded by women until Pharaoh Tutmos I ascended the throne. Furious with women guarding the palace, he cast them out, banning them from his home. Saddened by this, the guards seeked refuge from Ahotep's daughters, who were also in exile. And together, they formed ranks and called themselves the Daughters of Ahotep, and swore to protect the kingdom from all manners of beasts, whether they be welcome or not. There were some followers that were welcoming Anubis. They knew that he was dark and deceitful. So that brings us into the present day. The Daughters of Ahotep are still a secret society, only known to other divisions, such as the DOA. The original Daughters decided that it would be in their best interest to have children pass down their legacy, just like Orion did. When a daughter would marry, her husband would be sworn into secrecy, and he would be pledged with the task of maintaining the daughter's lore and knowledge. He would also be a seeker of foes, finding out when the kingdom would be under threat, and determining the location for the old foe, Anubis. Daughters born of the society would be trained, like their mothers and their mothers' mothers, and sons would be trained by their fathers in the history and lore of the daughters of Ahotep. And the men were eventually 
granted a title, the Eyes of Ahotep. And the eyes saw all. Nothing would be hidden from the daughters of Ahotep ever again. So let's talk about another general. Let's talk about Fenris. Fenris fleed to Scandinavia um, to hide out, essentially. And he's desolate mountains um, uh, near a small settlement that had been established called Orolo. It's very modest, very peaceful, lots of farming. The young prince of England had declared war on what he called the savages of the north, referring to Vikings. Now the men of Orolo were called to fight and um, unfortunately none of them came back. They were all taken to Valhalla. So with this little settlement, uh, decided that they should hold some kind of council meeting and they should appoint a leader. They appointed a woman named Yela. And Yela was appointed because it was said that she had some kind of connection to the Nordic gods. When she was young, uh, she went to go collect um, jewelry, armor, and uh, weapons off of uh, dead soldiers after another war. And she spotted what she believes was Odin, told her that one day she would be a chosen one. Gela thought that he was referring to her being escorted to Valhalla. It's not the case. Um, <clears throat> so the women of Orolo took to the farming, taming horses, as well as gathering food and child rearing. And one day, a young boy was playing out in the field, and he called to his mother. And when his mother came outside, he pointed up to the cliff, and there she could see a silhouette of a large wolf looking down on them. His mother called a council meeting that, that there is a wolf out there. Yela didn't quite believe this woman. She didn't think anything of it yet. The next morning, all of their sheep had been slaughtered. Not eaten, just slaughtered. Yela gathered shield maidens, which as you know are female Vikings. They gathered their armor, their swords and their shields, and they headed out on a hunt. Before heading out, Yela took a moment to commune with Odin. Odin told her that it was not time for Ragnarok. Women like her would have to fight. But she was the key. Beast has been loose for too long. The great wolf in the sky known as Fenris. She told the other women, and they, they went out hunting for Fenris. And they found Fenris, and there was a great battle. <clears throat> Unfortunately, Yela did not make it. She was taken to Valhalla by Odin himself, it said. Her daughter, Ariana, did live. She, much like her mother, was a fantastic shield maiden. Battle tactic, incredible knowledge. And she decided that, or in the name of her mo mother, she was going to form ranks with all of the young kids in the village. So from the age of six, you would start learning how to kill wolves. Because Ariana knew that her family was part of some kind of bigger story 
But for now, it was important that they kept their eyes on Fenris. They tracked him for years until Ariana's death. And then her daughters, twins, they would track him. And to this day, Orolo exists and it stands strong. They remain quite cut off from the rest of the world. They're not westernized in any way. They speak a different tongue. They don't really keep in touch with the DOA. The daughters of Ahotep do. Um, they are just known to be around. But they are incredibly loyal, ready to fight. And if called upon, by, they will be there because they are incredible, incredible fighters. And they are the reason why Orolo still stands. So now we're on to the last head of Cerberus. And this one's not going to be as fun, unfortunately, because Inominatem fled to South America and no one knows what happened from there. There's no other division that has any record of Inominatem. And we don't know if this is because they laid so low that nothing was ever established or that they wiped out any force that tried to kill them so fast that people didn't even know there was an army going for this thing, hiding out in the rainforest. There's no records anywhere. The Talbot historians have been trying to figure it out. They have been combing archives and trying to rewrite the codex and see if, you know, there's any record of after um, the fall of Lycone, but there is none. And even though it doesn't necessarily add content to this podcast in an exciting way, it's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> There's been some DOA expeditions to South America to find Enominatem, but they have no trace of a hellhound there. It's just too quiet and it's too unlike a hellhound. So as far as Enominatem goes and their history, I unfortunately have nothing to add because the DOA haven't collected anything. That's how terrifying Enatem is. <laughs> and with that, my lovely Howl fans, that is the end of the history of the DOA. Well, not necessarily the end. I mean, there's oodles and oodles and oodles of stories and facts that I could list off right now. But that's just no fun when you're not in a physical classroom. Podcasts are fun this way because you can listen to it whenever you want for as long as you want and then come back and play it again. Um, and my intention is not to overload you with too much information. But this, all of this information, you can listen to it and then you can go back and see if it affects how you listen to the first couple episodes of Howl. <laughs> You know the drill. You can catch us bi-weekly or every new moon and full moon for those of you who are mystically inclined, as I like to say, so mark your calendars, witches. You can also find these companion episodes in between our narrative episodes, so check back for those as well. As always, I'm Shannon Farrell, and uh, this has been a really, really fun experience just sitting here drinking tea. <laughs> talking about history to no one but my computer but I really hope you did enjoy this episode this was really fun for me to do um let us know if it was helpful if there's anything that you want to know more about 
And uh, hit us up on our Twitter, at HearUsHowl, same handle for our Instagram. All this stuff is going to be in the description as well, as, uh, as well as my personal handles that you can follow me on, uh, too. So, with that, I bid you all adieu, and remember, be careful out there, because you never know what's lurking in the woods. Good night.